Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Lore of Your podcast. If this is your first visit with us, I'm your host, Chuck Raymond. Each week, I tell a story about some forgotten or lesser-known piece of Kentucky history or mystery. This week, we take a look at another one of Kentucky's notorious outlaws, Gilliam Doc Brown Hopper. Folks claim that he was a mean, low-down, ornery horse thief and murderer. It's also a mystery. Stay with us until the very end of the story to find out why. My main source of information is the book Doc Brown, The Outlaw of Grayson County, Kentucky. It's written in 1876 by Colonel William R. Haynes. Our story begins with Gilliam Hopper, his wife Nancy Campbell, and their nine children living in Warren County, Tennessee. The date is 1825. Shortly after the Hoppers settle in McMinnville, Gilliam begins working a section of land adjoining his, even though the property belongs to another man by the name of David Stockstall. It's not clear whether or not Gilliam's aware that he's trespassing on another man's land, but for about four years, he cuts timber and clears it. As far as he's concerned, it's his land. This all changes one day on April 20th of 1829. The day started out like many had before. Hopper and two of his sons go into the woods to split boards. After finding a suitable tree, he tells his two boys to get to work chopping it down. He hears the dog barking just a short distance over the hill. So Gilliam takes up his rifle and sets off to investigate what critter the dog has treed. Shortly, there's a gunshot, soon followed by Gilliam hurrying back to his sons in a panic. He tells them that he just shot old man Stockstall and that they need to run home and tell their mother and siblings what happened and to bring his horse and supplies to the old root wide in the holler. He'd meet them there by nightfall. You see, it just so happens that David Stockstall and another young man named Harry Skelton were just over the hillside surveying the piece of land that Gilliam had been working. Skelton was interested in buying it from Stockstall. I tried doing some searches on newspaper.com to see if I could dig up more information, but didn't have much luck. I was hoping there'd be an account of the shooting, since Stockstall was said to be a prominent man at the time. Anyways, Gilliam and Stockstall had gotten into a heated argument over the ownership of the land, and that's what led to the shooting. The boys do as they're told. That night, they meet Gilliam at the old root wide in the holler and hand over supplies and the horse. He tells his family goodbye and heads off. A few weeks later, a reward of $500 was offered by the governor of Tennessee for the arrest and conviction of Gilliam Hopper for the murder of David Stockstall. Now, despite the posse and the offer of reward money, months pass and nothing reliable is heard of Gilliam's whereabouts. Eventually, excitement over the murder died down and people resumed their day-to-day routines. Now, Gilliam Hopper was no dummy. For about five years, he's on the run, always one step ahead of the men trying to find him and bring him back to face justice for the murder of David Stockstall. It will be 1833 before he will reunite with three of his sons, James, Pinckney, and Gilliam Jr. in Kentucky. In the years since their father left, the three men had been engaged in horse swapping, cattle buying, and stock trading. 
making occasional trips to Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Kentucky. Just so you know, stock buying back in those days meant buying and trading farm critters, not buying or trading stocks on Wall Street. While on a stock trading trip, they have a chance meeting with their father in Catlettsburg, which is in Boyd County, Kentucky. After getting reacquainted, the four men immediately begin planning their next moves. In 1839, the group turns up in Montgomery County, going by the last name of Hooper. In August of that year, Willis Roberts, a prominent citizen of Montgomery County, is ambushed and shot. A neighbor finds him lying in the road, severely wounded. He's able to get the wounded man some help, and once he had regained enough strength to talk, he doesn't hesitate to name James Hooper as the shooter. It was no secret to folks that the two men were not on good terms, and Roberts is positive that he saw James running through the cornfield immediately after he was shot. A warrant was sworn out, and James is arrested and brought before the county judge in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. He was formally indicted for malicious shooting and wounding with intent to kill. On the day of court, Pinckney and Gilliam Jr. testified that James Hooper was with them all day at the house, a half mile away from the cornfield. They claim that they saw a man about the size of their brother pass the house that same afternoon, and he was carrying a gun. Their testimony is enough to create doubt in the minds of the jury, and they find James Hopper not guilty. But the people in the community know better. No one believed that James was innocent of the shooting. Folks began harassing James and his wife, openly mocking them about it in public. A couple of months later, in October, things get so bad that they run off in the dead of night to Indiana. Not long after they had settled in Montgomery County, Gilliam Hopper Sr. had returned to Virginia with the woman that he now called his wife. This left the Hooper boys free to do as they pleased, and because of that, the boys had become well-known for dirty dealing and were considered dangerous men. Most of their neighbors hated them. Since James had run off, Pinckney manages to hire on with a cattle outfit in the area owned by a wealthy cattleman by the name of Grubbs. Gilliam Jr. leaves Montgomery County, next turning up in Grayson County, Kentucky, going by the alias Dr. G. Brown or Doc Brown. Once settled in Grayson County, Doc had written to Pinckney to meet him in Cloverport, Kentucky. Pinckney had been on a cattle drive for the wealthy cattleman and had just made it back to Catlettsburg when he's handed a letter at the post office. Instead of returning to the ranch with the cattleman's money, $7,000, which was a lot of money in those days, he goes to Cincinnati and boards a riverboat bound for Cloverport. Doc met Pinckney when the riverboat docked. He had brought two horses, one for himself and the other for Pinckney. They left that afternoon and traveled about 15 miles on the Bowling Green Road to James Howard's place. It was well known and a favorite stopping place for weary travelers between Bowling Green and Cloverport. At this point, Pinckney was no longer Hopper or Hooper, but P.H. Brown, brother of Doc Brown. Along with Pinckney, arrangements had been made for his father and his mother-in-law to come to Grayson County too. Doc would ride out to meet them at West Point, Kentucky in Hardin County. He waited overnight, but his folks never did show. The next morning, he heads into Louisville to see if they may be there. 
It's not long before he spots a wagon with two people coming towards him. Once they get close enough, he recognizes his folks and rides up to them, wanting to know what had kept them. They tell Doc that their horse dropped dead once they were close to Beargrass Creek. They had to wait until they could find another horse before they could continue on. So on their way back to Grayson, Doc tells his father that he found his Uncle Moses Hopper also living in Grayson, but that he was going by the name Moses Edwards. Apparently, Moses had killed a man and was on the run from the law also. Gilliam Sr. also adopts the Brown name once they meet up with Doc, and he's now John H. Brown. Once they were within a few miles of the Salt River, they stopped for the night near a farm that bordered the line of the Louisville, Paducah, and Southwestern Railroad. At daylight the next morning, they resume their journey to Pine Knob, but end up taking the wrong road. They didn't realize they had gone the wrong way until they had almost reached Elizabethtown. It was midnight when they reached the eastern hilltop of Big Clifty, ten miles outside of Litchfield. They stop at a tall railway trestle to rest a bit when Pinckney comes riding up. He had come looking for them once they failed to show up on time. He had been to Salt River and learned that they had taken the Elizabethtown Road. He came back expecting to catch them in Litchfield, and when he didn't find them there, he came looking for them. They all mount up, resume their journey, passing through the town of Litchfield in the dead of night, only stopping once they reached the Mahern's Place in Pine Knob. Pinckney and Doc Brown resumed trading in horses and cattle. They had stayed with the Mahern's for a few months, ultimately buying some land from them in the spring of 1842. Browns built a huge log cabin for their residence, located in the valley near the church and a spring. One Friday afternoon, a stranger comes riding into Litchfield on horseback, and he started asking those he met for directions to Pine Knob, saying that he was related to the Brown brothers. Now, it's my understanding that the Pine Knob area was once a booming little community and was on the main route for wealthy cattle buyers who would travel it on their way to St. Louis. It was not unusual for travelers to ask for food and shelter at homesteads along their way. One common question was to ask for recommendations for the best places to stay along the way. Someone had suggested that he should stay with the Browns in Pine Knob. So the stranger stops at the post office and gets directions and promptly heads off in that direction on the Hartford Road. He arrives at the Browns' place around dark, where he is greeted by Doc. Browns had no idea who this stranger was, but Doc does invite him to stay and rest up for the night. Unfortunately for the stranger, he had made the mistake of telling Doc that he was carrying a large sum of money. Doc told him that he shouldn't be telling folks about his money and not to tell the others that he has it. So after supper, Doc and Pinckney go out to tend to the man's horse, and while doing so, Doc tells Pinckney about the money that the stranger claims to have. They hatch a plan to get the man to go on a fox hunt with them, where they will lure him to Big Mouth Cave, kill him, and take the money. Their plan works. They lure him to the cave, ambush, and stab him to death. They couldn't risk alerting anyone by firing their guns. After disposing of the body of Frank Pugh, 
the stranger, they clean the blood off their hands and return home. They give their bloody clothes to their mother-in-law to wash and warn her she had best keep quiet about it and not to say a word to their father. She promises not to say a word. The next morning at breakfast, their father asks them where the stranger had gone off to. They tell him that they had told him about their neighbor, Mark Shane, how that he was the best hunter and fisherman around. The stranger said he was getting tired and wanted to call it a day, so he was going to go see Shane and see if he could stay there. The boys gave him directions and continued hunting once he rode off. But no sooner than he had told their story, the neighbor Mark Shane shows up on his way to go hunting. The old man asks if he had met the stranger the night before, and Mark says, nope, ain't seen him. No one knows what had become of the stranger that had been passing through, asking for directions to the Browns. But several months pass. The boys had been keeping the man's horse at Big Mouth Cave. And one day, after Doc had returned from taking a herd of cattle to Louisville, he stops at the cave, gets the stranger's horse, and brings it home. If anyone asks, he says that he got it as part of the payment for the herd of cattle. Pinckney had also started getting antsy about the money they had taken off the stranger, a thousand dollars. He felt the time had come for them to settle up, and Doc agrees, but he tries to cheat Pinckney out of three hundred dollars. This sparks a small fight between the two, but a doc eventually hands over the full share owed to Pinckney, but he wasn't happy about it. And for a time, the Browns were regarded as model citizens and good businessmen in Grayson County. But that wouldn't last. Their neighbors became suspicious of the Brown family. Some things just didn't add up. On one occasion, Pinckney and Doc had sent a large drove of cattle to Louisville. The ramrod on that drive was a man by the name of William Mayfield, a supposed half-brother of the two outlaws. Unknown to any of the Browns, he was really William Mayfield Hopper, one of their brothers. Pinkney had bought Doc's share of the cattle and had told Mayfield to deposit the money from the sale in the Louisville Bank of Kentucky. Mayfield deposited the money and returned home. Shortly afterward, Doc drove some hogs to the same market, and having heard that Mayfield deposited Pinckney's money in the bank, got a man to identify him as a brother and partner of Pinckney Brown, and that they were stockmen from Grayson County. Doc's ruse worked, and he withdraws the $500 deposited by Mayfield. He goes back to Pine Knob, but says nothing about the money. Shortly thereafter, Doc heads out again to do some trading in Caneyville. While he is away, Pinckney gives a man a check on the bank to settle a debt, but it was no good. The bank says that P.H. Brown had already withdrawn his whole deposit. Pinckney immediately suspects Doc, so he goes to Mayfield and tells him what Doc had done. Both decide they will settle up with Doc when he gets back. And when Doc returns from Caneyville, Pinckney and Mayfield greet him with their guns drawn and demand that he hand over the money he had stolen. Seeing that they meant business, he reluctantly hands over the money, and from there the relationship between the two brothers continues to go downhill. It seems Doc's greed and jealousy knows no bounds. Ned DeWeese, who lived near Pine Knob, had a horse stolen. He had traded William May of Elizabethtown for the horse a few days ago. Several days later, it's found roaming in the woods, 
and is returned to Ned. Word gets around that a loose horse was found, so Mr. Milburn, from Meeting Creek, Kentucky, also having had a horse stolen, goes to Deweese's and identifies the horse as his. Milburn said he had traced it to May, who claimed he had bought it off a man who matched the description of Doc Brown perfectly. But Doc was not arrested, which surprises me. Usually horse thieves were hanged, even suspected horse thieves. It's speculated that Doc Brown's influential friends were running interference for him. Before long, the two brothers are introduced to Miss Emma Ross. Her father owned a hotel in Litchfield, and although they both admired her, she only had eyes for Pinckney. The two soon become engaged, and Pinckney lets Doc know that he intends to marry her and settle down, so back off. This news does not go over well with Doc, but he pretends he's happy to hear the news and won't stand in the way. Days later, while Doc was in Litchfield, he runs into his brother James, the one that had fled Montgomery County for Indiana. After getting reacquainted, the two men head back to Pine Knob to meet up with the others. Once there, Gilliam Sr. is happy to see his son James again, but that soon sours. He realizes that James is broke and is looking for a handout. Pinckney and Doc had reached the same conclusion. The two brothers decide that the best thing to do is kill him. So they set about plotting how they're going to do it. They weren't real fond of James anyway, after the way he had stolen money from them, and practically disowned the family after he had fled to Indiana years before. They decide to trick James into believing that they wanted him and his young son to come to Pine Knob and live with them. James would sell his property and throw in with them. James liked the idea and agreed. He sells his small property to Pinckney and Doc, gathers his young son from a neighbor, his wife had died a few years before, you see, and they headed back toward Pine Knob. They came back by Cloverport and proceeded directly to Uncle Jimmy Howard's place to rest about 10 o'clock in the morning and remained until a little before sundown. Reaching the Falls of Rough, they started in the direction of Pine Knob, about four miles away. It was pitch dark, and Doc pretended to be lost. He told James that he had never traveled that road from the falls, but had frequently heard that it was a shortcut, and that was the reason he took it. Doc tells his brother that he knows the way home through the woods from there, and that they can shave about two miles off the trip. Being too tired to protest, James agrees, and he follows Doc into the woods. That would be the last mistake he would ever make. Pinckney was lying in wait, ready to ambush James as they rode by. The gunshot spooked James's horse, and it threw him and his young son off. James realized that he had likely killed his son when he landed on top of him, and before he could react, Doc and Pinckney were on him. They killed James and bury him in the same grave with his son next to the grave of the stranger. In the fall of 1847, Doc had returned to their childhood home in Tennessee to visit his kinfolk. He stayed there for several months before returning to Pine Knob. He noticed that folks did not greet him in the usual way upon his return to Grayson County. You see, too many suspicious things were happening with the Browns. Strangers asking directions to their house, disappearing. 
the brothers always showing up with strange horses, plus the fact that unknown human remains were being found in the area, led folks to believe that strangers visiting the Browns never leave alive. In January of 1848, Doc and some other hired hands were preparing to drive 40 head of cattle to Louisville to market. Pinckney had started to complain of feeling bad, and Doc had been giving him some doses of calomel, which in those days was considered a cure-all for everything. We know it today is mercury and that it's a toxic substance. If you guessed that Doc had given Pinckney a fatal case of mercury poisoning, you would be right. On the day Doc leaves to take the cattle to Louisville, Pinckney's condition worsens. Dr. R. L. Heston of Litchfield was sent for and arrived later that night. It didn't take him long to realize that Pinckney was suffering from the effects of poisoning. The doctor tried giving him the antidote that he had, but told John Brown that he didn't hold out much hope. And by 9 a.m. the next day, Pinckney had passed away. A few days later, when Doc returns, he learns that his brother has died. He pretends to be all broken up about it, but they were just confirming what he already knew. Things are looking up for Doc. With his brother out of the way, he will be the sole heir when his father dies, or so he thinks, and he will marry Emma Ross. What Doc may not have realized, though, was that his father knew he had poisoned Pinckney and had confided in several neighbors as much. Word had spread through the community, which further alienated Doc from a lot of his former friends and business associates. Folks were talking behind his back. William Mayfield, the hired hand who helped Pinckney get his money back from Doc, had been in Tennessee for several months. Doc didn't realize that he had been visiting their kinfolk and telling them everything that was happening back in Grayson County. When Mayfield does come back, he tells Doc that he's moving in with them in Pine Knob. I reckon he let the cat out of the bag about who he really was because he winds up disappearing, never to be heard from again. Doc had asked him to help him take a drove of mules south to market. That was the last anyone ever saw or heard of Mayfield. Doc had told folks that he had went back to Tennessee after they took the mules in. Some believed him, some didn't. They knew about the strange disappearances surrounding the Browns. Before too long, a letter is sent to a neighbor in secret. It's from Doc's brother Moses Harper in Tennessee, asking a lot of detailed questions about the Browns and the death of Pinckney and the disappearances of Sam and William. Doc gets wind of the letter and begins to think that it's his brothers are going to show up and try to take what he felt was rightly his. That pretty much sealed the deal in his mind. He had to kill off his father, get rid of the mother-in-law, sell off everything, and head for greener pastures. There was one other piece of business that needed tending to, though. Emma Ross, the woman that Pinckney had been engaged to. Doc didn't want to marry her on account of love, though. He just wanted her money. He figured that she had to have plenty since her father owned and ran the hotel in Litchfield. On the 21st of May, 1848, Doc puts his plans into action. It was a warm night, and no one could get comfortable enough to sleep. Doc calls out to his father, asks him to come into his room. That was just a ploy. 
When his father comes into the room and is by the window, Doc raises his rifle and shoots him. John Brown falls out of the window and onto the ground below, dead. Doc then threatens his mother-in-law that she had better do as he says, or she'll be next. Doc gets the neighbors to come by and see what happened. He tells them that he was restless and had woken up to see a figure pointing a gun at him from outside his window. He grabs his rifle by the bed and fired at the would-be assassin, only to discover that it was his own father. His mother-in-law backs up his story and says that John had told her that he was going to assassinate Doc while he was sleeping. Doc was arrested, but was eventually found not guilty. His mother-in-law had always done as she was told, and Doc did not want to kill her, so he arranges for her to return home to Virginia, which she does. Killiam Hopper, a.k.a. John H. Brown, was buried next to Pinckney at Pine Knob. As usually happens with complex schemes to get rich quick, Doc's misdeeds start to catch up to him. When word reaches home that Gilliam's dead, Doc's other brothers and Uncle Moses start snooping around looking for their share of the inheritance from the estate. Also, several folks have tracked their stolen horses back to Grayson County and Doc Brown. They begin to converge on Pine Knob looking for answers. In the meantime, Doc continued to visit Miss Ross. Folks who suspected him of being an outlaw feared him, but they would never tell that to Emma or his friends. He was always armed, and no one doubted that he would shoot anyone that got in his way. A few days later, Doc goes to Louisville and buys headstones for his father's and Pinckney's graves. Not long after he gets back, his brother-in-law, Nathan Frizzle, and brother Moses Hopper show up in Pine Knob. Now, Doc had suspected that his brothers would show up to snoop around, looking for their share of any inheritance money. The men get into a heated discussion. Doc tells them that everything belonged to him and there was no inheritance. His brothers decide the best thing to do is to go into town and hire a lawyer. So they retain W.L. Conklin to look into things and help them get their share fair and square. They file the paperwork claiming that Doc is really Gilliam Hopper Jr. and detail the story of what happened with the Stocksteel murder. Their father's running from the law, the whole nine yards. Doc finds out about this and goes to see Conklin. After their discussion, he knows that his whole charade is starting to fall apart. So he hires John J. Thurman, another attorney from Litchfield, to represent him should it come to that. But he knows. If his brothers and the lawyers and the courts start digging through records and such, he will be found out and lose everything he's worked so hard to steal. He also realizes that if word gets back to Emma and her family, they will never allow a marriage between the two, and he'll not get a chance to steal her family's money. He decides the next best thing to do is try to erase any connection to the Hopper name, and so starts erasing it from legal documents that he has. He goes so far as to chisel the initial H off of his father's headstone. But I don't believe anyone but Doc and Pinckney knew that it had stood for Hopper. Their father had told them when they arrived in Grayson that the H in John H. Brown stood for Hopper. Satisfied that he's done all he could do on the legal front, he goes to Emma's house and tells her and her family that a couple of crooks have come to town claiming to be his brothers in order to take what he had. 
He convinces them that the whole thing was a sham, and once it's all done and over, the truth will come out and all would be back to normal. He was so convincing that they buy into his lies and set the 22nd of August as the date Doc and Emma would get married. With all these legal filings and rumors flying around, Doc's lawyer, Thurman, and another friend, Stinson, who had been backing his defense also, started getting bit antsy. They could accept that a couple of drifters might come into town and make false claims in order to swindle some fool out of their money, but the one thing that couldn't be faked was the uncanny resemblance the men all shared. They decide that they need to go see Doc and get to the bottom of things. They had money writing on this case. They had paid Doc's legal fees up to that point with the understanding that they would get it all back after the trial. Doc assures them that it's all lies. He even encourages the men to go to Tennessee and meet the Hoppers for themselves. Once they do, he's sure they will see it's all just a con job. He'll even pay their expenses for the trip once they get back. The two men agree this sounded totally reasonable, so they make the necessary arrangements and head off to meet the Hoppers in Tennessee. Now, I don't have to tell you that once they get there and meet the Hopper family, they realize everything that was stated in the court filings was 100% accurate. Doc had been lying to them and everyone else this whole time. They decide that they had been had, and in order to avoid looking foolish, they needed to try and work out a compromise. The men returned to Grayson County on August 22nd and find out that Doc and Emma had married that morning and returned to Pine Knob. They ride off and meet up with Doc. Even though he knows the men are wise to his grift, he still tries to claim it's all lies. Doc tells them that the Hoppers are his half-brothers and that his mother really wasn't his real mother and that it's all a lie in order to cheat him out of his money and property. Even though they aren't quite buying what he's trying to sell them, they agree to file Doc's counterclaims and defend him in court. This was a bad move. Moses Hopper swears in court that Doc has filed false paperwork, and the judge agrees. Doc is then arrested and put in jail on a perjury charge. While Emma's pregnant, she often visits him in the jail until she's no longer able to. She talks a relative into posting bond for Doc so he can be released into his court date to answer for the perjury charge. And not long after his release, James Ross is born. On the day of court, Doc's attorneys ask for a continuance and it's granted. Once they leave the court, they decide to grab a bite to eat at James Howard's place, except for Doc. He's nowhere to be seen. Not too long into their meal, they hear Mrs. Howard scream, so they rush to find out what all the fuss is about. They discover that Moses Hopper has been shot and seriously wounded. He says that Doc Brown was the one that shot him. Based on his accusation, Doc is arrested once more and tossed into the jail in Litchfield. But his friend Stinson bails him out. The last thing that he needed was for the wealthy cattleman that Pinckney had defrauded several years ago to show up in Litchfield. But guess what? He does. Now that the whole story of Gilliam Hopper's exploits were known, folks started talking. The news spreads, and before too long, a lawyer friend of Grubbs, the wealthy cattleman, tells him about it, and they both agree that the description of Pinckney sounds like the man that had stolen his money years before. Grubb decides to go to Grayson County to see for himself. Once he gets into town, 
Grubb immediately recognizes Doc as one of Pinckney's frequent visitors at the ranch. Doc, being who he was, just can't help himself. He denies everything, saying that he had never met Grubbs in his life. So on June 28, 1850, Grubbs files papers in court laying claim to everything Doc owned, and Grubbs wouldn't be the only man to do so. As word got around, more victims of the hoppers came forward and filed claims against Doc, hoping to get some or all of their money back. Doc's brother Sam makes his way to Grayson from Illinois, looking to see if he might cash in as well. He stops by to see Doc, but is never heard from again. Folks believe that Doc killed him off as well, but had no proof. With all the suspicions, accusations, and whatnot flying around, Doc felt he would be safer staying at his Uncle Moses Edwards' place in Ohio County. While there, he comes up with a plan for him and his cousin Martin to go back to Tennessee to see Doc's brother Ab Hopper. He had an idea for swindling him out of some money. Martin agrees, and they make the trip to see Ab. Before getting to the house, Doc hides in some trees while Marty goes up and knocks on the door. Ab answers and invites him in. Another day would pass, with Doc hiding out in the woods, waiting for his chance to ambush Ab. Around dinner time, Ab's friend Dr. Boone shows up to call on him for dinner. Before they sat down, the doctor asks Ab to follow him outside. Safely out of earshot of Marty, the doctor tells Ab that he saw Doc hiding just off the blind trail he came in on, and that Doc had seen him. Well, that was enough for Ab. He went back in and grabbed his rifle off the mantle and heads right for Doc. He eventually stumbles on the spot where Doc was hiding, and both men raise their guns and fire at the same time. Abs had shot Doc in the face, killing him immediately. Doc's bullet had hit his brother in the stomach. He lingers, but eventually dies several hours later from the wound. Ab and Doc were both buried in a country graveyard. Doc's remains were placed in an obscure corner with no funeral or friends to grieve over him. A rough stone marks the spot. The only thing written on it was Gilliam Hopper. Martin Edwards had been arrested as an accomplice to the murder of Ab Hopper and placed under guard in Ab's cabin. Once he saw an opportunity, he jumped out a window and fled back to Kentucky. He tells folks what had happened in Tennessee and not wanting to end up like Doc goes on to live a reputable life. Despite all that he had gone through, the courts had seized his assets, leaving Doc with nothing. Emma had left him and returned home to her parents, and he ultimately dies alone in the woods of Tennessee in 1851. If you're a fan of Doc Brown, or simply know the story well, then you know that I have left out a lot of details. Now I did so because Colonel William R. Haynes's telling of this story and his book is well worth a read. He has such a way with words that I could not do them justice. So it's my sincere hope that you'll check out the links in the description of this podcast and read it for yourself. The book is freely available in the public domain since it was written before copyright laws were a thing in 1876. Also in the description is a link to a YouTube video recorded by the Pine Knob Theater. Each year, the theater would perform the Doc Brown story while serving a dinner. The property is said to be located on the very property that the Browns own. They had shut down during the pandemic in 2020, and I know that they had a Facebook page at one time. You might want to look and see if they have resumed 
the Dinner Theater if you're interested in seeing the play. And at just a little over an hour, it's well worth the investment of time to watch it. Why did I say that this story was also a mystery? This is one of those stories that we would classify today as based on true events. Colonel Haynes was also an attorney with Robbins and Haynes of Litchfield in the March 22, 1876 edition of the Ohio County News. There are two mentions of Colonel Haynes. In one article, he and another attorney had prosecuted suspected Klan members. And in the second article, they mention his book, Doc Brown, and call it a romance, which I thought was kind of funny. Being an attorney, I'm sure Colonel Hayes was privy to a lot of information not made public, which he used in his book. But for a history hound like me, verifying pieces of it was hard to do. I could find very little in the records about any of these events. The people and places are or were very real. This story holds a special place in my heart because I grew up in many of these same places. I still have family living in Grayson County, and I drive through Cloverport, passing by the old riverboat dock. I know Big Clifty, West Point, and Litchfield well. Many of the family names are still found there today in 2023. The Hopper family does appear on Ancestry.com. There are court records and census records. Genealogy forums have descendants discussing some of the accounts found in the book. Some of these discussions only contain information found in the book, so I take them with a grain of salt. The only mentions that I can find in old newspapers online of Doc Brown from Tennessee are of a man in the 1870s, 20-plus years after these events are said to have taken place. That Doc Brown appears to be a well-connected politician. Articles tell of his attending various Democratic conventions in Louisville and surrounding places. I'm guessing that Colonel Hayes was acquainted with him. This account also reminds me of the Hart brothers and the wilderness road robberies and murders that took place in these same areas in the same time frame. Was Colonel Hayes mixing and matching these true events with other misdeeds to create this story? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this week. Thank you for being here. Your company is always appreciated. I hope that you have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you back here again next week with another story. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye.